Hey listeners, this is your biohacker speaking, aka Katie. If there is one thing I dread, it is walking down the skincare aisle of my local pharmacy. There are just so many options to choose from, and I never really know if something is actually working. So that's why I reached out to Rachel Varga for some TLC and guidance through her one-on-one -on -one consultation. And honestly, there is just nothing better than putting your skincare regimen into the hands of someone you trust and who really takes the time to evaluate your skin type and then give you access to products you just won't find on supermarket shelves. Since I'm on camera almost all the time, I really can't afford to get a breakout or have my skin looking dry and flaky. Rachel's protocol has literally changed the texture and complexion of my skin to the point where I'm starting to get ID'd again, which makes you feel good at literally any age. So if you haven't booked your session yet, then head over to rachelvarga.ca to learn more. Welcome to Beauty and the Biohacker, where we explore the latest tools and trends in self-care, aesthetics, and peak performance to help you live your most beautiful life from the inside out. I'm your co-host, Rachel Varga, a board-certified aesthetic nurse specialist since 2011 with over 19,000 rejuvenation treatments performed on thousands of patients. And I'm Katie Moore, a self-proclaimed biohacker with three years of self-experimenting in the space of health and wellness technology. I'm on a mission to help you achieve success without sacrificing your health or happiness through my YouTube channel, Katie Type A. So join us as we sit down with some of the biggest innovators in the health space, the movers and shakers of the wellness world, and unpack some of the biggest secrets in the skincare and longevity space. We are Beauty and the Biohacker, and we're thrilled to have you along for the ride. Welcome everyone to the Beauty and the Biohacker podcast. I'm thrilled to be here alongside Katie Moore. And in today's show, we will be discussing the science behind intermittent fasting. Before we get into the episode, be sure to subscribe here on the Beauty and the Biohacker YouTube channel, on the podcast, and on YouTube, be sure to hit the bell so that you know when new episodes are dropped. And Katie, how excited are you for today's interview with Cynthia Thurlow? I am so looking forward to this one. I have just kind of started, you know, doing the intermittent fasting thing again with the start of the new year. So I have so many questions and I am really uh, looking forward to diving deep into the science behind it all too. It's going to be amazing. So let me tell you a little bit about Cynthia Thurlow. I've known Cynthia for a number of years now, and it's always an absolute pleasure to connect. Cynthia Thurlow is a nurse practitioner, CEO, and founder of the Everyday Wellness Project, an international speaker with over 10 million views on her second TEDx talk, Intermittent Fasting Transformational Technique. With over 20 years of experience in health and wellness, Cynthia is a globally recognized expert in intermittent fasting and nutritional health, and has been featured on ABC, Fox 5, KTLA, CW, Medium, Entrepreneur, and The Megyn Kelly Show. She was listed in Yahoo Finance as one of the 21 founders changing the way we do business. Cynthia hosts the Everyday Wellness Podcast, considered one of 21 podcasts, Expand Your Mind in 2021, and I'm predicting for 2022 as well, by Business Insider. Her mission is to educate women on the benefits of intermittent fasting and overall holistic health and wellness so they feel empowered to live their most optimal lives. Welcome to the Beauty and the Biohacker podcast, Cynthia Thurlow. How are you today? I'm doing great. It's so nice to connect with both of you. 
Yeah, it is. Uh, it's always really great at the beginning of the year to kind of look at your kind of nutrition goals for the year. And I, I have finally gotten back into the fasting thing. I think I took a little bit of a break, which many of us do, but there, you know, my fiance was doing the zero app and I just kind of felt compelled to like start to think about my, you know, nutrition and macros a little differently. So I'm really excited because I know you're working on a book and I know that you just have so much knowledge on some of the science behind it because yeah, it's trendy, but what is what is the actual benefit? And I'm really looking forward to kind of diving into some of those things with you. Yeah, you know, I, I think on so many levels, people think of it as being new or novel. But if you reflect on fasting, it, it's uh, an aspect of nearly all the major religions. So I like to remind people that it's been part of our humanity for thousands and thousands of years. It's only in the last probably 30 or 40 years that you're starting to see more and more people embracing this strategy. And, it, and I think it's a direct reflection of the fact that a lot of the dogma that we were raised with, I mean, certainly the information that I was giving my patients when I was a new nurse and a new nurse practitioner has really been largely disproven. And, you know, part of the, the degree of cognitive dissonance we're experiencing as a culture right now really speaks to the fact that, you know, for many people, they are, they are in a position where they uh, are unable to entertain the possibility that they, they can survive and eat less frequently. But I would actually make the argument that it's our meal frequency and our diet and nutritional patterns that are really contributing to so many of the chronic disease states that we're seeing. And it's really a cry for help. I think that in, on every level, uh, irrespective of what your credentials are after your name, it's really vitally important that we all really consider our relationship with meal frequency and what's serving us and what is not. And I'll give you an example. I have teenage boys and they could seemingly eat from the moment they wake up to the moment they go to bed, but they are still growing. They are still growing. But once we have been, once we are at full maturation, we don't need to be eating with this with the same degree of frequency. And we certainly need to be conscientious about what types of macronutrients we're consuming, our protein, fat, and carbohydrates. And so these are topics that a lot of healthcare professionals are not talking to their patients about. And really, we need to be. It is a public health crisis at this point. It's no longer something we can just shove under the rug and pretend is not a problem. We know based on a 2018 study that 88.2% of the population at that time was metabolically inflexible. And that really speaks to the fact things are not better four years later. And so it really is a public health crisis and that's how we need to treat it. I should actually write an article on aging and intermittent fasting. So actually after this episode, Cynthia, please email me some of your research uh, links and I am actively writing articles for the Journal of Aesthetic Nursing and the International Society of Plastic Surgical Nursing Journal. So let's do this. Let's collaborate. That would be super fun. You talked about something really interesting, which I was wanting to ask you about anyways, is, well, what is the history of fasting? What has it historically been used for? Because from my background in Christianity, um, spirituality, things like that, it can be utilized as a spiritual tool. And in fact, when I feel like I'm just a little bit of kind of like extra energetically, spiritually drained some, and I, and I want to kind of focus more on my spiritual energetic wellness, I will 
actually choose to do a much longer fast. We're talking Mm -hmm. until maybe 3 p.m. that day from the night before. But I'm really flexible with that. Um, So and I kind of go on my intuition. I'm not like a strict intermittent fasting, but I do utilize it for certain things. So can you expand on the history of fasting? Yeah, I mean, I was raised Roman Catholic, and and it was incorporated into a lot of our holidays, you know, certainly during Lent, that, you know, on the high holidays on Fridays during Lent, uh, if you were an adult or an older child, you were expected to fast. And so it was this connection to a higher purpose connection to God connection to, um, you know, within the universe, irrespective of what you're thinking about, but we know that it's also interwoven in Judaism, it's interwoven into Islam, it's interwoven into Buddhism. So really thinking about it from the perspective that our ancestors recognized that there was this strong uh, component. Now, at at the time that they were utilizing it, it was not for the reasons we're utilizing it now. They didn't probably know uh, all the other benefits that come from it, but it was really to clear our minds. So we weren't focused on digesting our food. We weren't focused on the next meal. We were really focused on our purpose, getting very, very clear, very granular about what our desire was in our relationship with a higher purpose. And so I know even when I was a young adult and fasting on high holidays, it was definitely designed to be um, to be a, a sacrifice, if you will, to forego food so that you could focus on what was important about that particular day in the Catholic calendar. And so I think that that really, for many people even now, they'll say that that's why they actually enjoy doing longer fasts that they feel so mentally clear, but they also feel that they're able to rid their mind of things that are not important. It's funny you mentioned that because I also was raised Roman Catholic mm-hmm. and I, you know, experienced the same things right around Lent and, you know, those Fridays. And I, uh, I wonder though, now that I'm thinking back at my youth, like, because it was painted as a sacrifice and something that was really quote unquote difficult to do, Maybe that has created sort of this like culture of people who are like, you know, it is so sacrificial and it is, you know, you have to uh, give up something when the real story is like, think about all the things you're gaining. Mm -hmm. And it's not until you keep doing this over and over again. And then you start to realize, A, it's so much easier the more you do it. And B, the benefits just so outweigh some of the hunger pains that you might get because there is this like sense of mental clarity. Mm -hmm. So kind of coming back to what you said earlier about this being a metabolic health crisis, I 100%, you know, stand by that too. It's one of the reasons I've been a big proponent of people using CGMs and really getting their blood panels done to understand where they're coming from and, you know, how this is actually impacting their day to day. So that being said, I'd like to just kind of pivot slightly from you know, everyone to more like women who are in their 30s to 50s and maybe have, you know, struggled with fertility or menstruation issues. And some of the protocols that you might recommend or the way we should look at fasting, how we should approach it, because there are people like myself who love the idea of strict time-restricted feeding, you know, and my fiance does 24 hours but is that realistic? And is that the healthiest option? And where where do you sort of gauge, like what hormone levels or what kind of data should you be accumulating on yourself mm-hmm. to sort of understand how long your fast should be? 
Those are great questions. I, I think first and foremost, bioindividuality rules. That means if you took three women that are 32 years old or 10 women, they may all need to fast a little bit differently. I'm very protective of younger women, especially lean younger women. If they're at their goal weight and they really just want to fast maybe once or twice a week, I think that's completely appropriate. I don't like the idea of athletic women. And by that, I mean people that are training, whether it's training for an Ironman or they're training for an event, maybe they're in their 20s or early 30s, peak fertile years. Your body, even if you choose not to become a parent or get pregnant, your body's pure focus is really on procreation. And so your brain and your, your ovaries are very interwoven. And the concept of food restriction can be uh, a very powerful signal sent to your brain. And it could very well, as you and I were talking about before we started, could very well tell your body we're in a period of famine. There's no way we can become pregnant right now. We need to shut things off so you can stop with getting your menstrual cycle. So I think for women under the age of 35, peak menstrual peak fertility years that are lean, it's an every once in a while period pattern. And I'm very much a proponent of only fasting during the follicular phase. So the first two weeks of the menstrual cycle, not around the time that you're going to get your menstrual cycle, your luteal phase. So that's number one. I think if you're an obese younger woman, you know, if you, if you have PCOS, you have insulin resistance, you are struggling with infertility. We know based on study research that there are tremendous benefits for a lower carbohydrate diet. Maybe you're doing 12 or 13 hours of not eating. For a lot of people, that can be a tremendous shift from the meal frequency issues that we're seeing. I've seen upwards of six, 10 to 12 times a day when people are, are doing these diet recalls, which is astounding. So it can be beneficial for them, but always in that context. Next are women that are 35 to 45 to 50, you know, those perimenopausal years. And yes, ladies, if you're north of 35, you could very well be in perimenopause. This is when progesterone starts to wax and wane in terms of um, our ovaries. We are not born with uh, ovaries that replenish every three days like men's sperm. So our, we are as old as our ovaries are. And so progesterone is usually the first hormone that will start to falter. And that can be like the very beginning of perimenopause. It's actually five stages until you get to menopause when you haven't had a menstrual cycle for 12 years. And perimenopause can be a great time. A lot of women are done having children. There's not as much focus on carrying a pregnancy to term or trying to get pregnant. Although there are certainly lots of women who successfully get pregnant in their late thirties, early forties. This is when everything changes. This is when sleep quality becomes critically important. Anti-inflammatory nutrition. I hate to say this, you know, I oftentimes feel like I'm the, um, the wet blanket at the party, but when we talk about inflammatory foods, we're talking about gluten and grains and dairy and alcohol. Yes. And there's a huge drinking culture here in the United States. Uh, and it's very different if you're drinking at 20 versus 30, 40, 50 and beyond. It can, you know, really create some, some health issues. But with that being said, also processed sugars can also impact hormones in very negative ways. So I always look at what's your sleep quality like, what's your stress management style, what's your nutrition like, are you over-exercising? Because this is also part of that calories in, calories out mentality, that methodology where we're convinced if a little bit of CrossFit is good, then even more is better. And I would be the first person to say that an almost guaranteed way to really mess up your hormones in your perimenopausal years is to overexercise. So in that context, if all those other things are kind of dialed in, fasting can be a really great way for a lot of women to maintain and or lose 
uh, weight and change body composition is also reduce their likelihood of developing insulin resistance. And one really important distinction to make here is that uh, you know, we're looking at our two big sex hormones. Most of us are familiar with estrogen and progesterone. Estrogen is an, is an insulin sensitizing hormone. So as you are transitioning through perimenopause, getting closer to menopause, you become in many ways physiologically more insulin resistant. I don't care how thin you are. I don't care how much you exercise. I don't care how pristine your diet is. It is a byproduct of that loss of estrogen, unless you are looking at bioidenticals, considering bioidentical therapy, and there's no food that's going to replenish estrogen. So there are lots of foods that help us package it up and get rid of it, but there's not like the magic food that's going to replenish all the estrogen that, that your body was once making. So I think it's important for people to understand that you know it, it's, it's kind of this mother's nature's way of forcing us to kind of change things up. And then, you know, obviously menopause, I always say menopausal women and men oftentimes have the easiest time fasting. Again, going back to that, they have to make sure they sleep. They have to make sure they're managing their stress, but women aren't dealing with as much fluctuation in our sex hormones as we did when we were in our cycling years. And so it, I feel like menopausal women oftentimes get a little bit of a pass, a little bit easier to fast. Um, they may not be as hungry. They may have less lean muscle mass. But with that being said, each stage, whether you're peak fertile years, you're perimenopausal or menopausal, we all have to fast a little differently. And I definitely dive into this in intermittent fasting transformation because I think it's such an important distinction because there's really no one else that I can think of that's really looking at this from a purely gender perspective, that there's no one size fits all. Women are not many men. We have to fast differently. And lastly, I want to just tie in this last piece because I think it's important. Our menstrual cycle is a barometer of health. I think it should be like the fifth or sixth vital sign because if you are fasting and let's say you're fasting for the first couple of months and maybe your cycle is a little heavier, a little lighter, I don't worry about that. But if it goes away, if you're in perimenopause or you're in your peak fertile years, that's a sign that your body may perceive Intermittent fasting is too much stress. So what is intermittent fasting? It's a hormetic stress, but it's the same type of hormetic stress, like too much exercise, too much cryotherapy, infrared sauna, all these things that can be beneficial in the right amounts at the right time. And so I really want women to understand that one of the things that's really critically important about fasting is you want to make sure that your period doesn't go away or that your period, I mean, if you're pregnant, that's one thing, but if you're not pregnant in the context of if you're over fasting, it's too much stress on the body. Your body may just say, time out. I'm in a famine state. I'm not getting enough nutrients. My body thinks I'm starving. And people sometimes have to go back to doing 12 hours of digestive rest. And there's no shame in that. I know you mentioned that you had a period of time where you took a break. Completely appropriate. I've had times where I've taken a break. Um, there, there's no like shame in doing that. And I think it's important for women to understand that there may be times in their adult lives where they need to take a break, like when they're pregnant or breastfeeding or gone through an illness, or they're just struggling in general. And that's totally okay. We are so hard on ourselves as women. And we need to give ourselves permission to take a break when things are not working for us. I really like that you have this approach of being intuitive with your body and depending on where you are in your life and your cycles to uh, take that into consideration. One of my clients is actually uh, she's a pediatric counselor. So she does a lot of work with mental health and kids. And she's like, Rachel on your shows, please do a PSA 
for fasting for for younger women. And I love what you mentioned that, you know, younger women, maybe this isn't the best thing. Mm -hmm. But we do have to be careful if, say, you're tuning in and you have a child and they're seeing you fast and diet this way, it will um, it will impact them. I was impacted positively by my dear mother. She actually did the South Beach diet when I was in middle school and high school. She weighed 210 pounds as a registered nurse doing night shifts. She dedicated her entire life to serving her patients and she wasn't looking after herself. So this is why I never ended up being that kind of nurse that was overweight and burnt out. And she developed estrogen receptive breast cancer and all of this stuff. So your little ones are always watching you. Mm -hmm. So always make sure that you have a very healthy perspective. And I love what you said to lend to the effect of intermittent fasting might not be the best for younger uh, teenagers, early 20s and things like that. So I think that's great. I would love to hear from you, Cynthia. Tell us a little bit about your AM and PM routines. And you did mention biohacking. Um, and it's interesting you mentioned that because I was doing a lot of cryo and sauna and cold therapy. And that was actually the one time I actually missed a cycle, which was wow. really, really interesting. But this was like serious cold therapy. Like it was minus 10 out here. We don't usually have weather that cold. So I'm just trying to like make the connections to myself as to why that happened. Were there things going on around me with friends and family members, you know, doing something to their themselves that maybe was impacting me? I just didn't know. So thank you for shedding light on that. I'm definitely going to be taking that into consideration because I'm actively in that preconception phase. And I do not want my body to think that I am in these like crazy extremes of famine or or cold temperatures and things like that. So I really appreciate that, that you shared that. So tell us a little bit about your AM and PM routines and what biohacking options you do to help get your day started off on the right foot because you're doing a ton. You're an entrepreneur, you're a mom, you got a book coming out. How do you, how do you keep your head above water? <laughs> uh, well, I think it really starts with high quality sleep. I mean, I, I will be the first person to say I'm super protective of my sleep. I'm oftentimes in bed before my teenagers, which they delight in because they come downstairs and they go like into the pantry and just, it's like a binge fest. They do, they eat healthy, but still nonetheless, they love it. Cause I'm not there to kind of supervise what they're doing. But I would say getting in bed before 10 o'clock at night, I wear an aura ring. So I really like to track my data. Uh, you know, certainly before I go to bed, I have a whole routine. I am a firm believer of repletion of magnesium. Obviously, my whole background as an NP was in cardiology. So I'm very, very savvy with electrolytes. I would say every other night I'm soaking in magnesium. It's usually magnesium, uh, borax, and baking soda. So it really potentiates the absorption. Uh, I have blue blockers on as soon as the sun starts, you know, setting. Uh, my husband and I try to take a 20 to 30 minute walk, even though it's pretty, it's cold here, not as cold as where Rachel is, uh, definitely cold, but it, it's kind of getting my, my body kind of ready into, I do that. I come in, I, I take a warm bath, you know, kind of raising your temperature is a way to, uh, kind of spurn sleep quality, but it's also, you know, that exercise or that walking, uh, after a meal is a way to help with insulin sensitivity. And so I also wear a continuous glucose monitor, uh, so that's another way that I'm kind of mindful of how much activity I've had that day, uh, how much, you know, blood sugar do I need to get rid of before I go to sleep. And so my, in my PM routine is really focused on high quality sleep. 
I have been um, experimenting with some supplements over the last six weeks, really in preparation for this book launch, because I knew that my sleep quality would definitely be impacted. So I've been high dosing with melatonin. I've been titrating up, titrating back down. Um, I have a, I have several other supplements that I'm experimenting with, including Sandman, if either of you are familiar with that. Super physiologic melatonin, which I think is really awesome, but I don't use that every night, probably once or twice a week. Uh, and then, you know, just really getting into the habit to say no, get into bed. I try to get off electronics. Uh, I, I can't get much into a book before I fall asleep. If I have a physical book in front of me, I'll fall asleep pretty quickly. I have a sleep mask on and this is probably, you know, your listeners are probably like, oh my goodness, I sleep at 65 degrees because that's where I sleep best. My whole family sleeps pretty chilly and it's, it's a great way to encourage my kids to sleep in their covers and not on top of their bed. And then in the morning, uh, you know, I get up before everyone else because I just, that's, that's just my quiet time. So I have green tea. I, I take thyroid medicine. So I take my thyroid medicine. I brew some green tea for my husband and I. I usually might do a couple like chores around the house, like things that are quiet because there's no one else that's up. But one of the first things that my husband and I do together is we get light exposure in the morning. We have two doodles and we do anywhere from 15 to 45 minutes worth of outdoor walking in the sunlight, you know, lots of sun on, on your retinas to kind of suppress melatonin, increase cortisol. And that's typically how the day is started, followed by usually some type of fasted exercise. Now, since the new year started, I've gotten back into exercising, uh, doing more strength training. So I'm strength training four to five days a week, uh, not too excessively. It's completely appropriate. I've, I've got it split into days so it's manageable. And then one or two days a week, I do hit, uh, but again, not for extended periods of time. Then I usually shower and get my day started. So that's usually how my day starts. I do take several supplements. It depends on you know what I'm doing at the given time, but I'm all about hacking. So anything I can do, but a lot of what I focus in on, I, I love my aura. I have a continuous glucose monitor. I also have an Apollo neuro. So occasionally I'll meditate in the morning, but lately I've been enjoying using my Apollo neuro throughout the day. And so for anyone, if they're not familiar with that device, um, is originally the research was done on PTSD patients. Uh, it's now come to, to realize that a lot of the parasympathetic stimulation is really beneficial for the lay public as well. So it's become one of my favorite things to use as well as alternate nostril breathing. You know, the book breath, I feel like really changed my, my life on so many ways. I'm like, I'm completely nerding out on all the respiratory physiology that's there and tapping into the autonomic nervous system. But that's typically how I start my day. I know that, you know, some days, depending on what my day's like, I may do some gratitude journaling. I'm not much of a writer. I actually would prefer to type it into a device because I, my handwriting after many years of working in healthcare is really pretty awful. And that's not even a reframe. That's a fact. Um, and so for me, I just prefer, you know, if I'm going to express gratitude, my husband and I are usually exchanging texts throughout the day. Um, he really is a, a fully committed partner. And so he has taken over all meal prep in our house, which is something I'm super grateful for. Otherwise we would be having someone come to our house and doing the meal prep uh, just to time for time constraints. So you know, expressing gratitude is probably the other, you know, piece of that. Um, and I'm happy to share more about supplements, but I try to keep things pretty pared down because I have a tendency to want to try everything. And then I don't know what's working. 100%. Girl, mm -hmm. you and I like parallel universes. Are you in New York? No, no, no. Oh, Outside okay. of Washington, DC. Okay. All right. East coast though. Uh, yeah, that is, that is a great 
like very holistic kind of and very self-aware approach, which is something that I've learned over time because I was, you know, the one to always throw everything under the kitchen sink at my health. And then you realize, oh, well, now it's really hard to quantify and actually figure out what's working, what's not. But I'd love to ask you a little bit about kind of, you know, your relationship to digital devices, social media, because I think, especially as a female entrepreneur, all three of us can attest that it's time consuming, A, eh? and it's also spiritually consuming. I really do my best to not wake up and look at my phone or look at Instagram or anything. And right before I go to bed, I never check those things either, because I feel like I like to preserve those very sacred parts of my day that can really make or break my day or, or sleep. So I'd love for you to just kind of unpack a little bit about like how you sort of approach uh, social media, the interactions there and kind of like anything you've observed recently that, you know, you could maybe help other women get through because there's, there's, you know, we're in this weird crossroads right now of just a lot of noise. And I'd love to hear kind of how you're able to stay above that. Well, I can tell you with a book launch uh, for full transparency, I try to spend as little time as possible on social media. I have a team that I pay to do a lot of that to interact as me. Um, for anyone who's worried or concerned that, you know, I, I generally try to respond to as many messages as I can personally. Uh, my team will flag things if they think it's something I need to respond to as opposed to them. Uh, but you have to set limits. It is very easy to get sucked into the social media vortex where you can't, it's almost like once you get sucked in, it's hard to get back out. And one of the things that I did at Christmas time, we were outside the country away in nature with my kids. And I just said, this just demonstrates for me how much I need to unplug. Like I'm much better off paying someone to do my social media content and, and respond as me um, in complete alignment with, you know, my, my own kind of governing philosophy about these things. But I do find that social media can also be like a really negative space. And I, I say that, and that I don't like to argue I'm a reform people pleaser. And so sometimes there are just individuals that you will cross paths with that. It makes me wonder if they, they need a hobby. Uh, they clearly are not very happy individuals because people that are happy and content and busy don't have time to argue with strangers and don't have time to be divisive and nasty. And so I affectionately refer to some of these individuals on social media as the harpies. And so the harpies are out there to try to point out inadequacies, their own perceived inadequacies and in others. And I feel like sometimes it's a mirror of their own issues that they shine on other people. Uh, there, there are a couple of people in particular that I, that I find on Instagram and I, I have to really restrain myself I try not to interact with some of the negativity that I that I see going on because it's hard enough being a woman. We're hard enough on ourselves. We don't need to, you know, buy that vitriol. We don't need to support a lot of the nasty reporting that goes on. Um, you know, the the clickbait articles that you see on social media, the magazines that are in the grocery store when you're checking out. Uh, I, I was trying to explain to my kids one day that as interesting as it may seem to be, if I buy one of those magazines, I'm then supporting that kind of reporting. And I know that, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not a Kardashian, but if I had people looking at my life and examining every single aspect of my life, that would be problematic and, and bothersome. And so I, I think on every level, I think we as women really have to stand in support of one another and not be divisive. I, I just see, I've just recently 
witnessed multiple times with a couple individuals on one particular social media platform. And it just reaffirms that certain women, I, I don't, I jokingly, when I was in my twenties, I used to say all women in their forties were grumpy and bitchy. Well, you know, I, I'm now one of those demographics. And the irony is that I choose not to be like some of the modeled behavior that I saw when I was younger. Life is way too short. And I, you know, I think we all agree that, you know, there was time better served investing my energies in other areas with people who want and desire to be inspired and empowered to change their lives. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, So some of the things that you guys have heard me talk about how I manage devices and social media and the woes of the world is I do like one or two off grid days a week. I go in the bush, I get that break from EMFs and electromagnetics. I literally can't check social media or make a phone call to save my life, like quite literally. And it's exciting. It just gives you a break and uh, kind of breaks up like what's going on with our businesses and stuff like that and the show and all of that. But I I like what you're talking about, but I'll also lend to this, you know, how can we be in the energy of celebrating our loved one's achievements? So when I hear stories of, you know, hearing flack from other people for this and the other thing, like who the F cares? As you said, it is a reflection of, of how they're perceiving themselves. And it's just, they're just simply projecting it onto others. So this is where like spiritual energetic protection is very valuable. This is something that's, um, I really encourage you all to start learning about. Dr. Terrence Palmer is one of the leading uh, individuals from the UK, really blending the world of science and spirituality. But there is an energy to cultivate here where we can actually celebrate loved ones' achievements. And I actually learned this through JJ Virgin. This is how I met you, Cynthia, through our network. And we celebrate each other and we have each other on our shows when we have a book coming out or something else exciting. And and it's really just great to hold space to celebrate our, our achievements. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your book, intermittent fasting transformation and your 45 day program that goes along with it, Cynthia. Yeah. So it's, it's really been three years of a labor of love, you know, when that talk in 2019 went viral, my team and I had to scramble a little bit to create programs almost instantaneously. And so it's really been several years worth of work. Uh, You know, initially I had men and women in this program and then over time, really the, the niche that I've fallen into is, you know, women that are 35 and older, really helping them to utilize strategies that will, you know, set them on a path where they're going to be metabolically healthy. So this is my program in a, in a book. Uh, it's designed to have uh, 45 days of learning the best strategies to be successful with intermittent fasting and interwoven in this is talking about hormones and talking about the unique needs of women at different stages, uh, you know, and certainly it's it's very research based. Unfortunately, there's not enough research done on women. Uh, I think this is something we can all agree on that the bulk of the research done on fasting uh, and women has been on obese postmenopausal women or obese PCOS patients uh, or obese diabetics and or lab animals. And so somewhere in between are are others that have you know not yet had enough research. So a lot of it's anecdotal. And to me, that is still valuable. It's just an opportunity to do, you know, further research in the future. But this is really the very best of my content, all interwoven into a book. Um, There's over 50 recipes that were designed by Beth Lipton, who I think is one of the most talented 
uh, chefs and leans very much into the carnivore-ish space, which is where I kind of lean into. Uh, plenty of vegetables, don't worry. It's not all meat uh, and all fish, but definitely heavily animal-based protein, which I think is important for women that they're consuming enough protein. We talk a lot about um, diet myths and diet dogma because I think that's so critically important. I still have people telling me it's just about calories. It's breakfast is the most important meal of the day. And I would argue that it's not. So intermittent fasting and transformation gives you every bit of tool to be able to determine for yourself how to successfully fast and really leaning into, you know, becoming more accustomed to the intuition of the body. I, I think one of the things that has really happened for so many of us is that we've gotten very disconnected from the process of eating and nurturing our bodies. And so fasting is one of those strategies that really allows us to capitalize on this and get reconnected to the way our bodies are designed to thrive. I am so excited for this. So where can people find more information about the book? I know you're working on an audio book as well. So just give us all the details and where we can look out for this. And we'll put this in the show notes for everyone too. Yeah. So Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, your local booksellers. Um, you can also check it out on my website. And we have a lot of pre-sale bonuses that are super exciting. And as I tell people, we created pre-sale bonuses that were actually valuable. I know a lot of times when authors offer up pre-sale bonuses, it's a hunk of junk. Um, these are actually things that will allow you the opportunity to get even better stellar results with intermittent fasting. And so definitely valuable. Unfortunately, the pre-sale bonuses are only available up until the publication date. So you have to take advantage of the pre-sale in order to get those. But yeah, you can catch the book just about everywhere. And I certainly uh, feel like this is a book that's going to change the trajectory of a lot of women's lives. So I feel really excited about it. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Cynthia. This was such a pleasure. I'm sure Rachel, you agree. Like there's, I mean, we could talk for hours. <laughs> I love you, Cynthia. That. You're one Aww. of my favorite humans. Aww, and I've you. worked with That's a ton nice. of your clients too, and have gotten to know your community. And uh, yeah, your clients speak very highly of you Aww. and you do a really great job with helping them understand intermittent fasting, especially in that perimenopausal, menopausal, postmenopausal stage. And I just like, I see how you support your clients and like how happy they are working with you. So thank you so much for the work that you're doing as well. And we'll definitely have you back on the show. It's always great to catch up and, and do, you know, an IG live or something like that. Yeah. And I just encourage everyone to pick up a copy of Cynthia's book, Intermittent Fasting Transformation. We'll be sure to have the direct link to get it in the show notes of this episode. And as always, make sure that you hang out with Katie and I here on the show. You can learn more over at beautythebiohacker.com and be sure to check out our favorites page for our top biohacks and special affiliate links and promo codes to help support the show and save you a little bit of money. So be sure to subscribe that bell notification on YouTube here and always be sure to reach out and let us know if you have any interview or topic requests Katie and I are going to be doing some more solo episodes we're very particular who we bring on the show so Kate, uh, Cynthia you're always welcome to be here and yeah it's just it's been great hanging out with each and every one of you thanks for having me ladies it's a pleasure 
Thank you guys so much for tuning into Beauty and the Biohacker today. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to leave a comment or share it on your social media account and we'll give you a shout out. And don't forget to head over to beautyandthebiohacker.com to check out all our episodes and our favorites page where we include our curated list of products with special discount codes just for you guys. And while you're there, sign up for our newsletter because we're sharing some exclusive content and giveaways you won't want to miss. 